of a question. If you were here last Sunday, what did I use for an object lesson? Remember? Yeah, thank you. Stood, stood with you. It stuck out in your mind, maybe, a little bit. So we've been in the book of James, and we just uh, covered the chapter three a bit about um, the tongue. Uh, our bodies have um, a tongue, which is known as a small, one of the small members of the body. But James, James describes it as it being unruly and actually a uh, two things can happen we can bless with our tongue we can build up with our tongue or we can tear down with our tongue and i believe for the child of god that it is of the lord's will for us to speak that which will build up and encourage on and bring people to Christ. Um, James said that the tongue is a, uh, no man can tame. That's why he described the bit that they put in horses' mouths. I said that, that this bridle is really a steering wheel for a horse. How many have ever rode horses, horseback, and you steer a lot of you? Um, Interesting how one horse's personality can be different from another's. Personality. Yeah, horses have personalities. Animals have personalities. Dogs, cats, you name it. We would say they have attitudes. Just so happens that people have personalities. Just so happens God made us with personalities. And wills. Choice. We... We're going to choose to go our way or the Lord's way. And I found that uh, if I choose to go the Lord's way, I will save myself probably a lot of troubles. Conflicts or dangers or things that otherwise could be a problem, a hindrance. Scripture's full of verses that have to do with the sowing and reaping principle. And so what we are saying actually is what we're sowing into people's lives. How many remember a word maybe back when you were young that really hurt you? Yeah, a few of you. On the other side, how many remember a word that maybe really encouraged you by someone important to you, especially? Um, I think back in my own life, I believe it's people that have said things to me that have helped me and encouraged me. I remember Pastor McEachern, Linda, you probably remember. I was just graduating from high school in 77, and he was, it was his first church in Aiken, and his wife was a phenomenal piano player, and they were just blessings. Um, they took us, actually, Pastor McKecker's wife, back then we called the youth, uh, we called it teen, teen, teen talent, teen talent was the 
Instead of festival, you remember? Festival of Arts, it was Teen Talent. So my brother and I, with the five string, he had the five string, I had the guitar, and uh, we tried it. We, we went forward, we made it to Regions, and from there we sort of went by the wayside. <laughs> um, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but our pastor, John, we were at camp. It was a different setting, and our family was uh, for some, we were doing some music there. And my brother Lanny and I, we 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 played I fly all fly away. We thought we played it just an instrumental, just lickety spit, just as fast as we could go. And uh, Pastor John said, he turned to us, "You guys need to play more together. The rest of them are okay, but you guys need to play more together." You know, no offense, Linda. No, no. Uh, it just was an encouragement to me. And so when you, when you see some young person that's trying to, younger, younger, older, or whatever, and they're trying to go for it, encourage them on. It don't take very long to get discouraged in the old world we live in. It doesn't take very long into the workplace when you find, figure out that not everybody's happy. Wait a minute. Not everybody's excited about life. Not everyone supports your team, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not everyone thinks the way you think. Guess what? Welcome to life. <laughs> right? right? What would we do? We cannot escape. Conflict. The church, in the early church, right off the bat, experienced conflict. Who's going to take care of the widows? Who's going to help the poor? And so they got together, come up with a plan. Isn't it fun? When people come up with a plan. And they said, here's what we're going to do. The apostles said, we're not going to neglect the word of God or the prayer life. So we're going we're gonna to, I want you to select seven guys. That will, they'll take care of the tables. They'll take care of the physical needs that are represented in the church. How many knows? I know good and well I cannot do all this myself. Thank you for bringing the food. Thank you for bringing the stuff, cleaning up. All this stuff takes a team. And so when I get to the fourth chapter, we finished off a little bit short of the last chapter of three in James. And just to say a few words that James was referring to in verse 13, who, who among you is wise and understands? He asked this question, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom, who do you listen to more? One who lives the life or one who just talks the life and doesn't live the life, right? And so the, the, the way we live speaks volumes to what people begin to portray us as. So it does matter the little things that we do along the way. The simplest thing, please or thank you. 
or noticing someone else is doing a job and, and encouraging them somehow, thanking them is one example. Now, verse 14, he's, he reads, we read this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant, so lie against the truth. This wisdom is that which comes, not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. There is a system in the world. There is a worldly system. You, you understand, at least to a degree. There is a system in the world that, that is, it is fueled by Satan. It is governed or directed. There is this uh, demonic, he says, the demonic, earthly, natural. And we read in Scripture that the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually appraised. And so what we, we need to pray for natural men or natural women, people that are not there yet in their faith, that their spiritual eyes will be opened. It's a wonderful way to pray because it's right on Scripture. It's Paul himself even prayed, I pray that their eyes of their heart may be enlightened. And so he was even praying for saints, praying for people that were being discipled, growing up in their faith. You know what God is, is, is involved with? Not letting us remain as we are. That's a good thing. God doesn't want us. God has some, something more than you could ever imagine. Wouldn't it be something if, like John in Revelation, but we would have a revelation into the times we live in and understanding. And so what we're getting at today is this. Yes, we're going to have quarrels. Yes, we're going to be at times have to figure out what's of the enemy, what's of God. And Jesus said, in the last days, many will say, I'm the Christ, and mislead. So the people of God are to be digging in, ought to be digging in to learn the scriptures, to search the scriptures, to seek out things that maybe are thrown out at us, by the way, the media, just, just so you know, I don't care for a lot of media. I just because I, I just need to know enough what's kind of going on, but I don't need to stay there. I don't need to camp with it. I don't need to carry it around because I believe the job is that we're going to make a difference. That if we're going to be the salt and the light that what, that Jesus talked about, we need to be soaking up the presence of Jesus. That when people bump into you, it will just ooze out. It will just come out of you. And you will have an answer. You will have words that will build up and that will give hope. Because a lot of people are living without hope. They're living with fear. They're living with what's the use of doing and having. Is this all there is in this life? 
if this is all there is, then what's the use of living? You see, that's the dead-end road. That's the earthly wisdom. That's the natural. The natural. By the way, we know that the scripture describes that this earth is passing away. Not to be a gloom and doom uh, preacher, but this is, in a way, opens our eyes to understand that everything we see is temporal. The scripture says everything that we can see with our eyes is temporal. But the things we do not see are eternal. And so what should we be focusing our attention on? More than, you know, I love nature. I love the woods. I love the sunrise. The sunset. If you were around this, uh, last night there was a sliver of cloud. Well, actually it was this morning, driving back. And it was a sliver of cloud that blocked the sun. So you saw about just a view. It was just a beautiful. How many saw that? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It was just a beautiful moment. And it says, every time I see something spectacular, it reminds me God is good. God is in control. He made it all. But we're not to worship the creation. It never should become a act of worship. We say glory to God because we worship the creator. We worship the one who made the stars and all the rest, all that we see. And so, verse 16, just before we get to verse four, chapter 4. Well, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every... Isn't that, is that a quote for our world right there? Look at it. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, disorder in every evil thing. God is not surprised of what's happening in the earth today. God is not taken off guard by what is happening in the world today. In spite of what is happening, he has a plan, and he is, this is his plan. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, Jesus is building his church in the middle of chaos, in the middle of things that are simply are destroying themselves. People are without hope, but some are finding hope. I believe it was one of the men in the Sunday school class a few weeks ago said there are, there are people in the Islamic world that are coming to Christ. Underground, they meet many women are finding Christ. We don't hear that in the media. Guess what? God knows what's happening. And God is at work all across our world. And he's at work in your heart. He's at work in your kid's heart. He's at work in your family. He's at work in our community. He's already at work. Therefore, may I hear. And Revelation says, he who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit is saying to the church, 
what would Jesus say to this church if we were one of those in the book of Revelation? Every one of them had something good. But there's always something we can work on. And it's not to fall into condemnation. But it's that because he doesn't want us to somehow coast along and sort of drift along in this life that somehow we'll just get by and we'll make it into heaven and we'll live happily ever after. We have been given the priceless, the, the message that will break the chains of bondage, that will break the addictions, that can break the demonic, that can open the doors that have been locked for so long and bring us into fellowship. I'm leading to something here. Into the fourth chapter, it finally kind of got a hold of me. You know, scripture can do that. You've heard this. I've read this so many times. You know, verse 1 and verse 2, he says, you know, you have conflicts. You have, you have war in your members. He's talking about this. He's talking about our inner man. He's talking about this, this, this earthly tabernacle. He's talking about how we think. He's talking about in verse 2, you, you lust, you do not have, you commit murder. He's talking about people who have got self-centered. They got caught up in trying to find something that will satisfy them in this life, and they cannot find it until they find the one who is the life giver, Jesus Christ. It says you fight and quarrel, and you do not have because you do not ask. And I think about that verse quite often. You don't have because how many knows it takes humility to ask for help? Especially if you're Norwegian. <laughs> or whatever. Hmm? You're self, you're proud to do it yourself. Oh boy, the Lord works on it. You don't ask. You know, what, what does the Lord want us to ask? What? Why does he want us to ask? Because he wants us to admit we are not capable. We are not strong enough. We are not wise enough. We cannot do it in our own strength. The reason is, is because he's created brother and sister, the body of Christ, to grow, to flow, to work together where one is weak, another is strong. Oh, don't put me in charge of the kitchen. It'll be a mess. Right? There are just some things I'm better off letting someone else do. Right, Horton? Yeah. And you learn. You're okay with it. I don't have to do it all. I shouldn't do it all. You and I, together, we need to let our burdens be known, our needs 
share one another's burdens. Thus, fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ, by the way? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God first, right? But love your neighbor as yourself. You know, one of the greatest ways you can be a witness is to show kindness to your neighbor somehow. Somehow, show it kindness. And we had a neighbor, and we still have that neighbor. And that neighbor wasn't always welcoming us at first. Wasn't always too sure about a preacher moving in. You know? And we're just, we're just, we're not forcing anybody into this, okay? We're not dragging anyone, kicking and screaming. That don't work. Well, listen, we must win people. You know what? One of my mentors in the church, Aleph Green, one of my mentors, one of my men, one of my seniors, he said, I, I think if it helps a lot. You get that person to like you first. Well, how do you get people to kind of warm up to you? You've got to get interested in their world. You've got to ask them about what they like to do, what, what's, what's, what ticks their t- clock, you know, what... What burns their wick, you know? <laughs> All these cliches we have, what, whatever, whatever toots your horn, you know? What, what is it that you uh, do other than going to church? What is it, you know, sometimes we need to talk about the day-to-day things so we can figure out, are we real people or are we just floating around? Are, you know, are, are our feet are on the ground. Yes, we suffer pain. We're not exempt. The conflicts will come. You have a spat, it's normal. It's how we deal with it. Sometimes we gotta say, I'm sorry I was wrong. I say that several, well, not sure how many times I've said it. Listen, I'm coming to something. It got a hold of me. Some of us are put in situations where you never, you never signed up for this. Sometimes life seems unfair. Or you got the short end of the stick. You ask God, what do you ask God for then? You ask God for grace. This is what I'm coming to. This is what the verses are coming to. Verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Quickening verse, isn't it? Motives. Be nice, Lord, to have one of them. What would the Lord say? Why do you want one of them? I don't know. It would be nice. Nice to have a new thing. Maybe sometimes God says, fine. Don't let it become your God. Thank God for his blessings. But you know what? I'm, I'm okay with an old clunker. I'm okay with a duct tape on the window. It's fine. That's just my personality. Not everybody's okay with that. That's okay. But there's something that I, I must keep in perspective. Perspective. 
that I'm not here to impress people. I'm not here to build a name for myself. But I'm here to lift up the name of Jesus and to allow people to understand or to see Christ. One of the highest compliments we could ever receive. They're a lot like Jesus from a young child. That's a high compliment. Friends, he's jealous, verse 5. What does that mean? It's not a bad thing. He jealously desires the spirit, verse 5, which he has made to dwell in us. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. God, in other words, wants your heart. He wants you to want him. He wants you to, to allow him to be number one or to want him to be number one. We will fight for that. We must fight for that. We must discipline ourselves for that. We must guard against our heart that nothing else creeps in to take his place. And God is jealous for that place. He alone belongs there. He only alone can be seated. That's what he wants. And so when we square that up and when we work at that, we find that we are a much content, more content person. That we are happier inside, that we have a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. And this is what I'm coming to, verse 6. This is the clincher verse. This is the text, so to speak. This is the verse that you can hang your coat on. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want to just zero in on this. What in the world is a greater grace? We have all understood, by grace we have been saved. It is the gift of God through faith. We understand the saving grace. We understand it's by the grace of God that we can be forgiven. But it's by the grace of God that we dare even try to live with the grace. You see, what I'm saying is that sometimes life isn't what we wish for. Sometimes life isn't what we Expected. Now what? Grace. He giveth greater grace. Someone is taken from you unexpectedly. You need greater grace. You think, how am I going to live on? How am I going to be able to function? Think of someone that's very dear to you. 
And if they were taken away, what would your world be like? You would need, in those moments, greater grace. And I'm confident that God has enough grace for you and I to go through this life and not just barely make it, not just kind of come to the closing of our lives, just kind of crawling. But I see in Scripture that we are to finish the course. We are to run the race with endurance because it is the one whom we are looking toward has already run this race, has already finished the course, has already done the work for us. All we need to do is fix and hope, uh, keep our fix upon him because this world is temporal. The things I see right now are temporal. And I'm alluding to something. I believe God can give us an understanding in your situation. I believe in the last days that the people of God can have the wisdom that comes from above and not be swallowed up in the earthly natural wisdom and be swung or be sideswiped by the things of the world that is saying this is, this is going to bring us under. This is going to bring destruction. You know what? Though they throw us into the pit, though they destroy this body for the believer, it is gain. Paul said it's gain. To, to die is gain for the believer. And so what it is, it is being actually elevated, promoted, so to speak, when you're a believer and you live faithfully to him. Does that make sense? This world is passing away. But he's coming to give us a new, a new earth someday. But we're going to be with him now this greater grace will help you. Verse 7, submit, therefore, to God. What, in other words, he goes on and said, resist the devil, he will flee from you. You know, how many times we read that? Wait a minute. He said, submit to God. Oh, now I can resist. Oh, if I try to resist the devil in my own strength, I'm not adequate. But... If I submit to God, if I come beneath his covering, if I stand with his covering, with the blood applied to my life, then I am resisting. The devil cannot stand to look or to be around you because you are one of them. And he is defeated. And he backs off. Oh, keep this in mind. Or some of them in the book of Acts tried to somehow buy the presence of God, buy the Holy Spirit. What happened? They were rebuked. Seven sons of Sceva. It's a great story. You know, who says the Bible's boring? Read the book of Acts. You want adventure? It's all there. These guys thought they could take on the devil. They were all beat up. They were bleeding and they were... You know, all their clothes were ripped up. They were in a mess. We need, we need the whole armor. 
We need, and it comes in the Lord Jesus. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Wow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, he's straightforward, isn't he? Cleanse your hands. Cleanse your hearts. Cleanse. You double-minded. You know what God doesn't like? He doesn't like a double-mindedness. He wants us to be with him or not with him. And so to draw this all in a conclusion way. I don't want anyone of us to go out of here feeling miserable. That verse 9 says, be miserable and mourn and weep. There's a time for that. Because <laughs> I think there's a time for taking inventory and being serious about yourself before God. But it comes down to this, is in your joy, you take your, uh, you know, joy to gloom. That, that kind of seems like that's a downer, isn't it? But he says to humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, he will exalt you. In other words, when we're just honestly open with God, he takes care of it. When you're just brutally honest before the Lord, he loves it because then he can move in and just confess it before the Lord. It's done. It's taken for. 